you know the joke about the person interviewing to become a nun? I'll speed it up. But they ask her a bunch of theological questions, and she gets them all right. And then the last one, they go, what was the first thing Eve said to Adam? And she goes, ooh, that's a hard one. And they go, correct. Because <laughs> it's penis. Uh, it's tumescent. Uh, that might be our cold open. Okay, great. Welcome to Save Me From My Shelf, a literature podcast where we take classic tomes off their pedestal to make you less anxious about reading them. Our jokes come from a place of love and for a specific teaching purpose. However, if you think that making fun of great literature, and maybe some mild swearing, is offensive, this might not be the podcast for you. Hello, you are listening to Save Me From My Shelf. Overegging the pudding over here is Daniel. Overnogging the... Egg? Nog? Is that me? I still do not believe that over-egging the pudding is a real phrase. Oh, it's real. I think that's a sick joke you and our colleague Chloe have been playing on me for several years now. It's not- You know about the proof is in the pudding, you know about that one? The proof is in the pudding, yes. Well then, why not have another pudding? Idiom. It's one too many, I'm sorry. Okay. They're over-egging the pudding. (laughs) The pudding (laughs) idioms. Damn it. So you guys, this is not only our Christmas special, well, kind of our anti-Christmas special, it is also our 50th episode. Hooray! Hey! <laughs> Golden episode! <laughs> yeah, so I just wanted to thank you, Daniel, for doing this show with me. Um, the show has made it this far not only because of you, but... Despite... In spite of you. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm in Sorry, spite... Sorry, I'm finishing any jokes. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, we're finishing each oh. other's insults. So my big gift to you, because you loved today's text so much, is that I'm going to try my hardest to let this be a long episode. If we hit an hour and a half, so be it. You know I hate anything that goes above an hour at 15. But if we hit an hour 30, I'm just going to let you have this one. Wow. It's Christmas, isn't it? Okay, well, I suppose I'll try to be as pithy as I can to keep it down. A gift of the Magi is happening. (laughs) (laughs) I have also gotten a bottle of champagne. Ooh, wow. So would you like me to get that now? Uh, I'm feeling pretty fruity, so... What a strange way for you to come out. Pop, pop those corks, is what I'm <laughs> saying. Hooray. All right, cheers. 50 episodes. 50 episodes. So now that we've had our little piss up, now that we've trashed my office, should you maybe read some letters for us, please? I should, I should. Hi, Abby and Daniel. I'm an A-level English teacher and Key Stage 5 coordinator and fan of the podcast. I have heard in some episodes that you sometimes have availability to schedule guest lectures slash school visits. We do. So if you are a sixth form or high school or whatever in the greater Birmingham area, Daniel and I do have availability to come to your school and give guest lectures. For some reason, we're still getting booked. <laughs> Never get invited back, though. That's the... <laughs> <laughs> we have been invited back. Oh, yeah. Just invited back to a school. Uh, The letter continues. I recommend a number of episodes to students to help with their exam and coursework studies. So thank you for your efforts, as well as providing me with some entertainment on the long weekend dog walks. 
Best wishes, Rosita. Well, thank you very much, Rosita. And as you know, we have already been in touch with you. But yeah, this is more more for informational purposes for other educators out there. You become an advert, love. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you're saying? Yep. Yeah, okay, great. And, well, that's a, that's a real nice segue into letting you know that Daniel and I teach at Aston University on an undergrad English Lit program, and I also teach on a master's English program. So if any of you have any interest in studying with us, please let us know. Please sign up to Aston University today. And we also have a Patreon. Our subscribers have access to some videos, some blooper reels. We also do a bi-monthly book group. If you would ever like to talk to Daniel and I live via Teams, please do sign up to our Patreon for more exclusive content. And thanks to all the current crop of... Uh, Subscribers. Yeah. Yeah, massive thank you to you guys. Yeah. You you are really helping us out because this show does have expenses that our university can't cover. So we're, we're just trying to keep it on its feet. So Daniel, what is our text today? Is there any time more representative of Merry England and Christmas. Snow-covered villages with happy wassailing in the streets and carols singing in parish churches. Master and servant, noble lord and rosy-cheeked peasant sharing a moment of bonhomie over a cup of smoking bishop. Father at the head of a solid oak table carving the goose while mother steams the figgy pudding and the king god ordained chief of this happy land making sport in the royal parks hosting masks and dispensing gifts to the needy sounds pretty good right no <laughs> this world needs to be turned upside down Ooh, cool line delivery. Thank you. Mary England wants debate, discord, armed rebellion. Let a thousand schools of thought bloom. Levelers, diggers, ranters, Quakers, fifth monarchy men, mechanic preachers. Overthrow the masters and the lords and lop off the head of the whole rotten hierarchy. Kill the king. Finally, most importantly of all, Christmas is cancelled. Welcome to England in the depths of the 17th century, to the land of John Milton, and to the age that produced today's text, Paradise Lost. Ah, so this is the war on Christmas that Fox News is always banging on about. Oh yeah. We're, gonna, we're coming at it hard and fast. <laughs> so it should go without saying we're about to spoil this text for you. In terms of the content, um, there's manipulation, shame, war, rape, incest demonic possession it's a weird one i don't know that it's too triggering for anyone but you know just generally we will we will have a light discussion of that so daniel shall we do some background friendo john milton was a 17th century poet pamphleteer politician and intellectual so milton had a pretty privileged education and he was really like super proficient in ancient and modern languages he even went on a grand tour of Europe and met all these kind of big names of the 17th century. Galileo, he gets a shout-out in Paradise Lost, doesn't he? And all of that kind of learnedness and languages and stuff, that all kind of crops up in Paradise Lost, doesn't it? I know Milton was a huge, like, Virgil fanboy, and he had planned from, like, a very young age that he wanted to write a great epic in English, and he just, you know, he planned his great work that would stand the test of time since he was quite a young lad. And I kind of hate that he succeeded in doing that. It gives hope to lame teenagers everywhere writing their magnum opus. I'm going to tell you guys, 
you're not Milton. It's not going to stand the test of time. Just stop. Give up on your dreams. Posh stuff. <laughs> well, but Milton originally wanted to write about English mythology, but he thought that King Arthur wasn't serious enough for a real epic. But then also he goes even further, doesn't he? This is about the whole cosmos. It's not just about Odysseus or some bollocks like that. No, yeah. He lost his virility late. <laughs> but... Yeah, when he did, oh boy. <laughs> That's disgusting. Uh, so, I'm yeah. so proud of you. Thank you. So in the late 1630s, there was civil unrest in England and Scotland. In 1642, this turned into an all-out civil war. Milton's family were Protestants. Milton was a Puritan and a political radical. Which is why this is our anti-Christmas episode, since the Puritans didn't celebrate Christmas. I don't know if now's the time to say it, but I only picked this. Well, I only wanted to do this book because of the joke that it's an anti-Christmas episode. But it just gave so much more, didn't it? I do think that our Christmas caroling this year, as as you and I do every year, we go caroling. Of course. It's going to get really weird when we add in the Calvinist psalters to our repertoire. Oh, yeah. You know, that was good King Wenceslas. <laughs> now for the eschatology of Goody Culpepper. Two, three, four! That sounds pretty good. Yeah, I like that. Force Mate singing the eschatology of Goody <laughs> Culpepper. Um, I forgot about Force Mate. Yeah, no, it's always up here. During the Civil War and the resulting Commonwealth, so the, the kind of Republican regime in England, Milton wrote various pamphlets on radical topics, so in favour of free speech, in favour of divorce, that guy loved divorce, uh, against the established church and church hierarchies, in favour of republicanism, and the big thing he did in 1649 was that he wrote a work that defended the recent execution of Charles I. Man, I hope that doesn't come back to bite him in the ass. Thank God the monarchy never gets restored, right? Yeah, oh yeah. He was, this is such a cool job title, Secretary for Foreign Tongues. Bit, bit bawdy, maybe. That's, I, I was gonna. I was gonna say that was my title the first year I lived in the UK. <laughs> so that was a sort of civil service political post during the Commonwealth, and so he would just write defences of the Republican regime that would be published across Europe. So he would like write in Latin and stuff. That's cool. That's yeah, so. It cool. is cool. Yeah, he was made famous all across Europe because of these kind of pamphlets, which were incredibly well written and argued and stuff. So Milton went blind during this period, and then. The monarchy, I hate to say it, as you already anticipated, the monarchy was restored in 1660, and after that, Milton was cast into the political cold. So he wrote Paradise Lost during this period of complete blindness and political obscurity, and dictated it to his daughters. And I don't know, do you think that his daughters secretly actually wrote it? He was just like, there once was a man named Satan, and the daughters are like, let's, let's make a few changes there. <laughs> yeah, Dad, this needs a punch-up. This is, a, this is a page one rewrite. <laughs> he died in 1674 when the second edition of Paradise Lost came out. Paradise Lost retells aspects of the book of Genesis and Revelation, and it just contains loads of stuff in it that could reflect Milton's life and times, loads of classical learning and stuff, loads of like modern science and geography, but also there is this kind of ambiguous thing about whether it's an allegory for the English Civil War and who are the Republicans, who are the Royalists, you know, is Satan a Republican, a rebel or what? There were moments of this that I really appreciated as like, wow, that's that's a flash of genius there. But on the whole, I found it fairly excruciating to read. Well, I was incredibly pleasantly surprised. I like that. Also, I thought it was a good summation of the themes from this series, isn't it? So we've had loads of epics. We've had civil wars. The devil's been in this series a few times. Apocalypses and gated communities. Yes. To, uh, Octavia E. Butler. Revolutions. Good, bad sex. D.H. Lawrence. Yeah, it's all there. <laughs> it's, it's all there.
action. Of man's first disobedience no. and the fruit of that forbidden tree, whose mortal taste brought death into the world. Do you not like that? The, the Flintstones. That was a silly one. Now let's do a serious one. <laughs> I just didn't know you were going to do that. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Of man's first disobedience and the fruit of that forbidden tree, whose mortal taste brought death into the world and all our woe with loss of Eden till one greater man restore us and regain the blissful seat. Sing, heavenly muse, what in me is dark, illumine, what is low, raise and support, that to the height of this great argument I may assert eternal providence and justify the ways of God to men. So, okay, I'm... Uh... I need to stop here and say that I find Milton's writing style basically unintelligible. I feel like when he writes, we've collectively decided to do that thing like where everyone pretends they can understand Lassie. What's that, boy? Adam and Eve are talking to Satan? Down by the old mill? <laughs> I just want to prepare our listeners that the quotations, we might recite some of them. We will try our best to sum up what the hell he just said. Yeah, well... I'll do that now then. So it's a classic epic opening, isn't it? We've talked about it loads this season. Yeah, epic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Give us an epic device, Claxon. So like Homer, our narrator is invoking the muse to elevate his storytelling and the subject is no less than the fall of man. Adam and Eve, they were cast out of paradise after being seduced into eating the forbidden fruit by Satan. The quote, infernal serpent, who, revolting from God and drawing to his side many legions of angels, was, by the command of God, driven out of heaven with all his crew into the great deep, unquote. Crew. Like Satan's on the Jersey Shore. Satan, formerly called Lucifer, was once one of God's dopest angels. Mm -hmm. But he got kind of jealous when Jesus showed up and, like, supplanted him in God's affections. And so he started a failed mutiny and got cast out of heaven. The point is, don't worry though, Jesus will eventually redeem us. But so, yep, Milton's just talking about the whole creation of the universe and the creation of humankind. So that's that's his topic. Right. So after this little treatise that opens it, we now actually get to the sort of plot. We cut to hell. Satan and all of his buddies are slowly waking up like frat boys the morning after a bender. So basically, hell sucks, but also it's kind of kick-ass. <laughs> it looks like every guar concert ever. I don't know what that is. I know you don't. Satan rolls over to his little buddy Beelzebub at his side, and I was like, is this a queer reading? Do we get a queer reading sting? Snuggled up? We, we will. We I, I think save it, because there's a bit about the angels all having sex okay. with each other. Great. And Satan starts lamenting his fate. Oh no, I fought God and lost. Hard. Hey, but at least I tried. You miss 100% of the revolutions you don't start. Oh, yeah. Maybe we can try again someday. But I will never, quote, bow and sue for grace with suppliant knee. So, in other words, that's me in the corner losing my religion. <laughs> what? <laughs> that joke is headed for the editing room floor. Beelzebub isn't so sure that they could overthrow God if they ever tried again. Oh, says Satan, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Okay, so we can't beat God in an outright war. But what if we, you know, perverted his plan in other ways? Quote, to do aught good never will be our task, but ever to do ill our sole delight. Guerrilla war, baby, a sabotage. 
They're saying this while being chained to a burning lake, by the way. So apparently they fell to hell after the battle and boom, instant chains. So I guess like presumably God can not only hear and see them, but he also has like powers in hell. I don't really get this Mm. part. Because then also God instantly loosens their chains at this moment and lets them escape. God's just like, yeah, do whatever. I spanked you once. I can do it again. And listeners, you better believe that if this were me and Daniel, I absolutely would let him sweat it out in jail until he learned his lesson. I do not have instant parole in my heart for you, Are you God and I'm saying? Yeah. That right. God's motives throughout are quite strange. Yeah, it's, it's so. kind of hard to follow the logic here. Mysterious ways and all that. <laughs> quite. So Satan flies away from his lake of fire and dusts himself off. Here we get a couple of big famous lines that you guys have probably heard before. The mind is its own place, and in itself can make a heaven of hell, a hell of heaven. And then shortly thereafter, he says, it is better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. So like, guys, all of you mindfulness gurus out there, you need to get in line behind the OG. (laughs) It's all about how you approach it. Change your perspective, change your life, and other inspirational posters. So Satan quickly summons all of his other demons lying around wounded or with a sort of battle hangover, and it's all very like, fly, my pretties, fly. So they're all regrouping all these uh, fallen angels, and we get this kind of epic catalog. Give me an epic and, and it's a bit of a who's who of demonology, isn't it? So we've got Beelzebub, that's Satan's second in command. Quote, next in power and next in crime. Next we've got Moloch. Moloch, isn't it? Moloch? Whatever. Yeah, somebody, well, Hebrew's obviously better than mine. Well, somebody has not read from his Necronomicon lately. Yeah. Necronomicon, please. <laughs> um, so, quote, horrid king, besmeared with blood of human sacrifice and parents' tears. Awesome. Yes. Next, Astaroth, quote, whom the Phoenicians called Queen of Heaven with crescent horns. And call back to Gilgamesh, that's Ishtar. Next, Dagon, quote, sea monster, upward man, and you better believe, downward fish. <laughs> I put the you better believe in there. That's not how Milton talks. I did a downward fish at yoga the other day. <laughs> Very difficult move. Belial, Belial, I don't know how you pronounce that. Quote, a spirit more lewd fell not from heaven, or more gross to love vice for itself. And Milton's like, there's no temple to him, but, you know, if you want to know about the guy, give Sodom a visit. So I think, do that's, a queer reading there? That's a queer reading. <laughs> Hooray! Yeah. The gay devil. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that gay devil. <laughs> so we've got all these millions of fallen angels. They're all gathering on a big hellish volcano in hell. So it would be hellish, wouldn't it? (laughs) To start building hell's capital city, Pandemonium. Milton made that word up, didn't he? Yes. So, and then Mulsiba, who I think is Vulcan, he's the architect devil, because it's like the Smurfs, isn't it? They've all got their own sort of (laughs) temperaments. He, on top of veins of liquid fire, builds a huge hole with a big roof and columns. So if the Lake of Fire sort of looks like every Guar concert ever... Now we have Pandemonium. It's a bit more refined. This sort of looks like every music video for a 90s alt-rock song you've ever seen. Now it's time to hold a great symposium about what to do next. So Satan starts his big Model UN project talking about future plans for War on Heaven. Moloch, one of the great demons, and General Warhawk starts begging for more war, saying this time they have the tools of hell to fight with. And I wrote... Moloch, you're a tool of hell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then B. 
Beelzebub starts to speak. I hear rumors that God is starting up a new project called Earth and a new race called Man that God is apparently going to love even more than his angels. Let's fuck up man, my brothers. And everyone agrees, hip hip huzzah. So Satan's like, great, this was the plan I wanted all along. It's time to do some retcon on Earth. But where is the front door to this place? So he flies around for a while looking for literally the gates of hell. And he finds that there are in fact nine gates that require opening. So Satan, when he gets to the gates of hell, finds two figures guarding it. And they're kind of weird figures. One is a woman, or at least a woman down to her waist. But at her waist, she then sort of mermaids into a snake and is surrounded by a pack of howling dogs. And this is a very upsetting detail. When the dogs get upset, they just run back into her womb to hide. And kennel there. What the hell? How do you even get into a snake's womb? What does that even look like? Have, I'm sorry, Daniel, have we taken a brief detour through a Fellini film? What uh. is happening? So the other figure next to the snake woman with uterus hounds is just some sort of like dark vague sinister shape lurking around her and satan goes up he's like hey who are you guys and the woman snake is like hey buddy where are your children uh beg pardon can we have the eastenders drums they always end on a cliffhanger and it always goes do 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 Jerry Springer is gagging somewhere in heaven to cover this story and get that paternity test. Yes. So here's the background to this. Apparently, when Satan was still an angel and first decided to disobey God and rebel against him, the snake woman sprung out of Satan's head like Athena did with Zeus, and her name is Sin. So Satan and Sin, despite her being his daughter, they had this whole weird, sexy situationship thing, and they started boinking on the rag, which Satan apparently does not remember. And she got pregnant with their little incest baby, who is that weird dark shape named Death. Death then raped his mother, Sin, and she gave birth to the dogs that surround her and torment her uterus. This is the darkest possible timeline for Chinatown. I also like that it's an Adam and Eve incest narrative in that their family tree is a goddamn stick. Well, I was thinking that too, yeah, because... Why is it okay for Adam to procreate with Eve, product of his own rib? And then she presumably, I'm guessing, procreates with their sons? Well... Or something? Even beside that, but yeah, yeah, you're right. But why is it not okay for Satan to cop off with the product of his head? (laughs) I I don't have an answer for you. There's a parallelism anyway, isn't there? That's what's going on here, yeah. Anyway, they're like, hey, Dad boyfriend we guard the gates of hell and we love you and we love your plot to ruin god's latest science fair project see you at the family reunion and they open up the gates of hell and they're like we're gonna make a bridge aren't they isn't the thing that they're always hungry and satan's like don't worry where we're going you'll have plenty to eat exactly (laughs) yeah after satan's turnpike opens why would god give them the key daniel i don't know why god does anything in this book Onto your, this is your favorite bit. This is my favorite bit in the book. So, <laughs> Sin opens the gate of hell, 
and quote before their eyes in sudden view appear the secrets of the hoary deep a dark illimitable ocean without bound without dimension where length breadth and height and time and place are lost where eldest night and chaos ancestors of nature hold eternal anarchy sorry are we in a magritte painting oh yeah what you better believe it it's it's magritte it's niels bohr it's I'm trying to think of another thing the point is is that this is the space that's not heaven, not hell, and not the earth. It's the sort of protean thing, the chaos that existed before God even, maybe. And nothing here is stable or fixed, but it kind of contains the raw elements of God's creations. So Satan flies into it, and it, he's tossed around by its chaotic forces, I don't mean to tell you. <laughs> you know what? I was thinking, this is so banal, right? But I was thinking, um, do you remember when Minecraft first came out? And people um, went right to the edge of what the game was supposed to be, and it got really strange. Yeah. That's what this is a bit like. You know, it's neither solid nor liquid <laughs> nor gas, and he's got to like, oh, got to kind of walk, but also swim and fly through it. That's a great bit. So, in the midst of this wasteful deep, Satan encounters some other kind of big metaphysical concepts that also can talk. So we've got chaos, anarch of the void, and his consort, night, eldest of things also various progeny including confusion and discord don't lump night in there night is fine one of these things is not like the other chaos confusion discord night fuck off so satan's like i've got no problem with you we all hate god don't we for me it's a personal vendetta you just like trash and stuff you hate all order and all coherence yeah intelligent design is so not your vibe exactly i can work with that yeah so that's the little alliance being made there. So I'm going to Earth, the newest part of God's creation, to try and sort of mess around there and just generally undermine it. And maybe even bring it back into your dominion. And Chaos is like, oh, that sounds good to me. And I know where it is you're looking for. Quote, thither full fraught with mischievous revenge, accursed, and in a cursed hour he flies. So that's a great bit, isn't it? I love that bit. So we have these really dynamic opening scenes. All the stuff in hell is really, like, cool. Now we smash cut to heaven, the most boring sections of the book. And we see God watching everything that's going on in hell, probably from his, like, big wall of screens, like he's a mole security guard. Also, Jesus is there, but he's kind of more in, like, his spiritual form since he hasn't technically been born into his, like human surfer form yet Priestess. Priestess. <laughs> god he sees everything that is currently happening and will ever happen so he's about to dish out some spoilers hey jesus i know that satan is heading toward earth i know he's gonna mess with the human race to get back at me and i know that he's actually gonna succeed in making mankind fall because i gave humanity free will dad should you revoke free will then no son because without it man cannot truly know how to love but i will punish them jesus is like great plan dad but is this just and god's like well son Probably not, but the kicker is, I'm going to make some bigwig up here die for man's sins. So I've created a situation, and now I'm going to punish everyone, man and deity, for the situation I've created. And Jesus is like, oh, oh, I see my time to shine. You need a sacrifice to die for man's sins? Oh, this can be my big contribution, Dad. This can be my octopus's garden. <laughs> 
Somewhere down the line, you can turn me into a real boy, and then I'll die for the humans, and then that means that you'll have conquered hell. Why? Because reasons. And Daniel, the rules here are so convoluted, and I'm sure they're all deeply rooted in 17th century theological debate. But honestly, it sounds like God and Jesus have just gotten high and are trying to design a board game. This is a Cones of Dunshire-ass world. No, it's mad, isn't it? It's completely crazy and stupid and arbitrary. Anyway, few were back in the whole Satan mission, aren't we? So Satan's skulking around for humanity as when a vulture looks, quote, to gorge the flesh of lambs or yeanling kids. So on his travels, he comes across a staircase from the earth to heaven. And it's all covered in diamonds and gold and stuff, isn't it? Because God loves the bling. Oh, yeah. God's a big bedazzler. Famously so. Yes. So Satan's like, oh, I'll, go, I'll walk up this stairway to get a bit of a fuller, you know, get my bearings, have a look at the globe and see if I can spot where humanity lives. I love him. Just the idea of him, like, turning a map upside down, trying to figure out where he is. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So he sees heaven. It's looking really good, isn't it? It's got all crystal battlements and everything. It's really shiny and nice. And it's very much like running into your ex who looks so much happier without you now. He's like, oh, God, heaven looks great. <laughs> yeah. So Satan is standing on top of the big staircase, stairway to heaven, like the song. <laughs> I've uh, been trying to avoid saying that, but carry yeah. on. And he's looking down at the earth below, and Milton uses a bit of sort of cutting edge 17th century geography and astronomy here, doesn't he? He's a good bit if you like that sort of stuff, uh, which I do. Satan is looking for Eden. He sees the archangel Uriel, one of the many archangels who are in this poem, and he's like guarding the earth, and Satan's like, ooh, I'll disguise myself as a cherub, go and ask him what's going on. He's like, gee, I sure am a genuine cherub. Come down from heaven to check out God's new project. What's the scuttlebutt, friend? And the Archangel Uriel does not twig that it's Satan in disguise. And this would be the funniest possible Gene Parmesan opportunity, but it's wasted. It is not that. Satan's like, oh, I've heard about all these new people. I want a closer look. I'm very, I'm, I'm sure I'll be very impressed. Uriel's like, yeah, great. Uh, there's paradise, Adam's abode. Just head down that way. I mean, abode might be a bit strong. Let's be honest, Adam and Eve are wandering around aimlessly like Sims whose houses haven't been built yet. That's how they talk, isn't it? Oh, I am fully au fait with Simlish, Daniel. Masma vaya. Deg deg. Deg deg, yeah. So Satan nips over to Armenia, where Milton tells us apparently that's where the Garden of Eden is. And Satan's overwhelmed with the beauty of Earth. And he's like, oh man, I knew God said, let there be light. I didn't know he was going to say, let it be lit. (laughs) Yeah, that's really good. Wow. I'm so happy with myself right now. I don't even care that you're staring at me with your dead eye sockets. So Satan starts to worry that, you know what, maybe he's not up to the task. And we get this whole bit about him debating, should I repent? Am I guilty? There's a lot of theological wrangling. It's a bit of a Hamlet bit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And he once more sort of commits to his own plan. It's a bit of a Macbeth moment, actually, of like doubt and then, oh, okay, all right. I've screwed my courage to the sticking place. What does he say? Evil be thou my good. That's a cool line. That's a good line. That's a cool line. You wrote a really fun point here. You love that Satan can convince everyone but himself. But he does convince himself. So, I'm wrong. Uh, But I like that, that his his manipulation has his limits. Because, I mean, he can obviously see 
the rhetoric behind yeah, it. Yeah, because all the way through he's had this rhetorical power. I mean, we didn't really talk about that with Pandemonium, did, he? No. did we? But he kind of just convinces all the devils to make him the boss and everything, or keep him the boss. And So while he's having these sort of ruminations over his guilt... The Archangel Uriel, who apparently has great vision and can see from China to Armenia, he notices something weird about that cute little cherub that had just come to talk to him. So Satan, in his musings, he's kind of let his mask slip a little bit. And don't cherubs always look happy? Why does this cherub have resting bitch face? (laughs) (gasps) That's no cherub! That must be Satan in disguise! Does Uriel do anything about it? Nope. So Satan just goes on. It's an inside job, isn't it? This whole thing's a f***ing inside job. God did it for the insurance. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually getting kind of close to my casting. Oh, really? I have, yeah. Okay, cool. Quote, like a thief breaking into the house of some rich burger, with an H, you know, a middle-class person, that means, not a sort of American sandwich, Satan sneaks into the Garden of Eden. A gated community... But for f***ing hoopst. Satan is in Eden. He's disguised as a cormorant, which you don't like. That made me furious because Milton says Eden is in modern-day Armenia, which is a landlocked country, and you choose to be a seabird? I think all the animals are in Eden. It's a bit like Noah's Ark in it. You can have cormorants, don't worry. What's my face doing right now? Do I seem... Chastened? Yes, you do. <laughs> uh, so, Satan flies to the top of the tree at the garden centre. The tallest tree. The tree of knowledge. He's kind of an OG apple scrumper, really. Yeah. Eden's... I don't mean to tell you, listener, but Eden is a pretty nice place. Quote, full of ambrosial fruit and vegetable gold. Vegetable gold. I don't care for that. Yeah, what is that? So all the animals are there. You know about them, all the animals. Cormorants and everything. And they're all getting on like a house on fire. Lions are dandling kids. Elephants, they're dancing around. What precisely are the carnivores eating then? It's magic. Now, Milton's understanding of zoology is f***ed for all that he's like, Oh, I love my sextant and I can talk about astrology and geography and f***. Off. You don't know the sciences. Don't know much about zoology, but I do know about St. Augustine. So shut up. That's, <laughs> that's, that's how the song goes. Isn't it? <laughs> so then, what does he see walking into view? Um, imagine like sort of feet, camera pans up, but it's, it's like a sort of sexy male gaze thing. Two of far nobler shape, erect and tall, godlike erect, with native honour clad, in naked majesty seemed lords of all, and worthy seemed, for in their looks divine the image of their glorious maker shone. Oh, we got two erects in a row. Daniel, do, do you want to take this joke or should I? So these are the first humans. One of the humans is a man. What like you is? The very same. One is a lady. What like I is? Yeah. And the man is naturally the boss. Quote, For contemplation, he and valour formed. For softness, she and sweet, attractive grace. So men kind of do everything and are good at everything. And women are kind of sort of nice and soft. Like a sort of plush toy. <laughs> um, that's where the parallels between us and Adam and Eve stop. You're the plush toy. Full of, full of polystyrene and... <laughs> made in china so yeah would you adam and eve it's the first humans you know daniel if this were adam and steve this never would have happened because they'd be fruity enough for themselves oh 
So, yeah, Adam, he's alright, he's quite good looking, but Eve is especially sexy. Quote, she as a veil down to the slender waist, her unadorned golden tresses wore, dishevelled, but in wanton ringlets waved. So, mm, girl. That's what we like. So Satan's like, ooh, they're really good looking. Beautiful. I wish I could love them, but screw that. Can't make an omelette without breaking a few eggs. Also, I just invented omelettes. <laughs> So, I'll just sit in this tree and watch them. Not in a weird way, not creepy. Masturbatory. The sin of Onan. Although maybe that. Who knows? I'm Satan. Who's to stop me? Well, from the engravings I've seen, he's going to be tugging on his second nose, isn't he? Because Satan normally has like a kind of head for a dick. What engravings are you looking at, you're not, sir? You're not looking in the right place. Your pornography search history... <laughs> It, have I you ever seen that? Those Satans where he's got like a head, he's got heads all coming out, sprouting out all over him. Nope. It's because you're a Catholic, isn't it? You don't see this like Lutheran stuff. Now maybe I should get into it. That sounds... Yeah, yeah. You're just looking at like boring Baroque ceilings. No, I'm starting to dig it. I think, uh, I think you've converted me to Protestantism this episode. At last. Anyway, he eavesdrops on Adam and Eve. They're talking about their own creation. Adam, he's a sort of straight-laced bloke. He's hot. He's a 10 but it's on the pH scale, by which I mean he's basic. Well, we uh, need to stop saying AO. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's, I no, no, it's. I'm but, addicted now. <laughs> so Eve, she already exhibits this kind of complexity, doesn't she? So she, she superficially accepts that she's the junior partner of humanity. Yeah, what do I know? I'm just a dumb rib. Well, exactly. Yeah. Then she also talks a little bit about how. When she first was awakened in the garden. She had kind of a Frankenstein's monster moment, except not as horrifying, so there was none of the mewling and puking and running around scared that you talked about when we covered Frankenstein. In fact, it was a beautiful Bimbet's awakening, where she doesn't mind being confused, and she decided to go lollop by a lake. She comes across her own reflection and falls in love with it. Yeah, she's like, oh, I'm a bit dishy, aren't I? Which is to say, she's got ringlets and a sense of self-worth, so she's gonna be trouble. So she, yeah, she kind of slightly falls in love with herself, doesn't she? And then when she is, you know, introduced to Adam and the kind of deal is explained to her, she's a little bit off-put, which I thought was kind of interesting. Quote, I yielded, and from that time, see how beauty is excelled by manly grace and wisdom. So she's kind of, unlike Satan or someone, she's kind of like, um, I didn't really like the deal I was given, but I kind of am now in a bit of a sort of Stockholm situation where I've just got to accept patriarchy. Also, this is a super queer reading. Yes, please, yes. Her default setting is lesbianism. I was literally born this way. Is it gay if it's just you looking at you? But she didn't know it was her, so yeah. Yeah, she hasn't developed beyond the baby's mirror stage. Okay, so Read your, Jacques Lacan. Read yeah. your Lacan, yeah, yeah okay, exactly. Great. We get a lot more, like, exposition. They talk about what they're not meant to do while Satan's eavesdropping. You know what that is? They're not meant to eat from the tree of knowledge. Aha! Satan thinks, there's my in. And he's also like, that's mental anyway. How could knowledge be forbidden? Can it be a sin to know? Can it be death? Good old Satan. I like that he really, like, believes that it's bollocks, as well as just being there to screw stuff around. That night, Adam and Eve return to their bower, where they chastely perform, quote, the rites of mysterious connubial love. So, like... They're having sex, but it's somehow not rooted in lust or even really procreation at this point. So, like, what is it rooted in? This might be naive, but how do you have sex without some form of lust or, like, other power? You know what I mean? Well, you wouldn't understand, would you? Because we've we've fallen. Oh, that. And also because I'm a lady. 
lie back, think of England, etc. Et yeah, that's because ladies were the ones that got us here into the state of non-grace. That is true. Yeah. And we do it again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what I do know is that God is controlling what they eat and keeping them isolated in the woods, naked, ignorant, and screwing each other while he presumably watches from afar. Friend, they're in a sex cult. This is a sex cult. If you're on this scene, you can't help. If you see people on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I've watched a lot of Netflix specials about sex cults. I know how they do. A lot of the religions are pretty sex-focused. So I'm just maybe saying. sex cult is a tautology is what I'm saying. <laughs> so Satan's like, great. I've learned everything I can from these two sex idiots about how to exploit them. And now I'm going to clap back at God by making a broad, still a continental breakfast. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Archangel Uriel has rushed off, but not to stop Satan or anything. Rather, he's gone off to tattle to the Archangel Gabriel. And he's like, oh no, do you think that cherub was one of the fallen angels? And Gabriel's like, super probably. And they go full mall cop and they search the Garden of Eden. While they're doing that, Satan doesn't know they're there. He creeps up on the humans as the humans sleep but he's disguised as a toad and he tries to whisper evil thoughts to them so sin gets sort of inceptioned straight into their dreams while he's doing this gabriel and uriel stumble across satan and they go hey that's no normal sleep aid toad (laughs) that's not a white noise machine toad or a lumbar support toad or not even your common melatonin toad. That's Satan in disguise. Or one of those toads that very slowly lights up. So when you wake up, <laughs> a you're not... sun lamp. I have one of I those. Do. So they get all very. The f are you doing here, brah? And Satan's like, nothing, brah. And they're like, you're up to no good, brah. And he's like, oh yeah, prove it, brah. And it gets all into a very macho shoving match. Well, they're getting ready to properly brawl. And then God lowers a set of scales from heaven, basically saying to Satan, listen, buddy, the deck is stacked against you. You're not going to win this fight. So Satan's like, okay, you don't need to tell me twice. And he leaves. Which they're weirdly willing to let him do. I would clap him in irons. At least whoop his ass with a sock full of batteries. Adam and Eve wake up, they're oblivious to the night's goings on. Yet they wake up as they always do everything. Himboishly. We need to get the himbo sting in here. Because these are some himbos of the highest degree. Adam and Eve, they're not just living in Eden rent free, are they? They have to do gardening. So they do a bit of that. Well, as with most sex cults, Daniel, it's also a sweatshop. But I just thought, in the same way that pre-fall sex is unintelligible, if I like pre-fall labor, you'd be like, sure, they wouldn't have that. Oh, it's a different... You wouldn't even understand it. It's like a nice labor. <laughs> it's like a nice, nice non-lustful sex and nice non-strenuous labor where you just kind of move ivy slightly. and that's, <laughs> that's what's going on, isn't it? Up in heaven, meanwhile, God, he's got... Getting the DA on the phone, Raphael... <laughs> And he's like, you need to go down to Eden and tell Adam and Eve that Satan is on Earth plotting their downfall. They need to be informed of what's going on so they can exercise their free will effectively. No, uh, bullshit. I am calling bullshit on this. So knowledge is good then. Well, quite. It's inconsistent. God is giving mixed messages. So Raphael goes and pays a house call. He eats a meal with Adam and Eve. And Milton's like, oh, and it's sad that you can't eat with angels anymore because humanity fell. Why? (laughs) (laughs) 
So during Raphael's big dinner with the humans, Raphael tells Adam about his origins, how God created the earth and made humans and made animals lower than humans and then plants and then rocks. Man's the highest because man can reason. And, you know, if you can reason, remember this, it's only rational to always obey God. Now, Adam, let me tell you a little story about a guy who disobeyed God, <laughs> a guy named Satan, who got super jealous when God had a son. And in a very succession turn of events, Satan convinced one third of all the other shareholders in heaven to pool together and oust God as CEO. It's been like that, you're right. But if you're going to take a shot at the king, you better not miss. And Satan missed. <gasps> No way, says Adam. Yahweh, says Raphael. Way! Very good. Oh, I love that sort of thing. Now Raphael tells us the flashback to the big battle in heaven. That Epic device. Yeah, and it's all very Peter Jackson. Can I interrupt you? Yeah. Satan's camp is in the north of heaven. And that's something to do with Lucifer being the north star. But how does that work? Heaven over the north. Lots of planets have a north, like Doctor Who in it. Is that it? What? What's going on there? We'll talk about this in the analysis, but there's a real, like, psychogeography. Yes. There's a weird melding of time and space yes, and direction. Yes, yes, yeah. with... and, and reference. Yeah, it's it's very odd. I mean, didn't you say that some people have tried to, like, actually map what yeah. the heavens and hell look like or whatever, yeah. according to Milton? So God was really concerned about making this a fair fight because God's such a nice guy. <laughs> so he's like, even though we outnumber Satan's rebellious angels, I'm only going to let as many good angels fight as there are bad angels. So like two thirds is a supermajority, isn't it? You can you can change the amendments in the Constitution with two thirds. So God shouldn't have even had to worry about <laughs> that third. He should have just kept them there. Unless Satan's rhetorical powers lured more people over. Could you imagine being the one-third of angels who just kind of had to sit this whole thing out? Like, what do you do? Hufflepuff angels. <laughs> <laughs> They're just off playing with a boat in the tub. I thought they were all in the stands. Just kind of eating... <laughs> flapping their yeah, little flapping flags, little flags. E eating pies. So the whole war is actually pretty even. It's neck and neck until the Archangel Michael brings out his big sword. So that is a find the phallus if I have ever seen one. And he wallops Satan with it. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> he, he basically cuts Satan straight in half, but since angels don't really have bodies, it's kind of not a big deal. You just lose a life. <laughs> and I'm like, why have a sword then if this isn't a big deal? So Satan goes off to heal his non-body, and he tells all the bad angels, you know what, we need better weapons. Ooh, this is a cool bit. Let's invent cannons and build them overnight. And then they shell heaven the next day like it's Stalingrad. It doesn't look good for the nice angels. Not one to do his own dirty work. God sends Jesus out in a bitchin' chariot. And Jesus quickly flanks Satan and he flings him out of heaven. When Michael drives the chariot, he's like this. <laughs> Jesus turns up. Oh yeah. He's got his arm on the side of the chariot. I don't know where you put your arm. Dad, let me take the sting. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I don't like this wrathful Krav Maga Jesus. I miss the chill surfer Jesus who turned water into weed. Yeah, it's not the Jesus I know. He's not my Jesus. <laughs> Hashtag not my Jesus. 
Satan and his bad angels fall for nine straight days and then land in hell. So Raphael wraps up this story that he's telling to Adam and he says, listen, buddy, Satan is coming for you and Eve and he is going to do anything he can to try to make you sin. Now it's time for Milton to invoke the muse again. It's like he's sort of trying to keep someone's attention, isn't it? We should do that in class with bored students. What? I invoke the muse! Sing your muse! <laughs> what? 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 Yeah. So this very long dinner is going on and Adam starts asking questions about the world's creation. We get this very long story about how God created man. There's a cool bit about the sun getting created and light being like liquid gold. There's a bit where all the animals come out of the earth and the stag's antlers poking out of the soil. It's a great bit. Doesn't Raphael say that God created humans because he just lost a bunch of angels and needed more people to worship him? Yeah, it's about making up the numbers. Man's God's like a ringer. God's kind of needy. You've got Old Testament vengeful God, you've got New Testament nice God, but it's all needy. Just lonely, I mean... What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us? Yeah, this is a very sort of 90s to noughties rock heavy episode, <laughs> isn't it? I did not expect that. If anything, I thought it was like more metal, the, the text, but not, not the way you're coming at it. Raphael, after that all that, is like, don't disobey God. I want to make it clear again, do not disobey God. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge. I'm going to hammer this into you, maybe with a real hammer. <laughs> okay, so... Good, we're on to book eight. Surely we're going to be on to something better now than this endless fucking dinner. Oh no, wait, we're still talking to I Raphael. I loved all this stuff. I'm gonna, I thought this stuff I, was really good. Yeah, so we're still talking to Raphael, and I'm just like, somebody flash him the light like it's the Oscars. Play him off. <laughs> Adam's like, Raphael, can you give me an astronomy lesson, please? I want to learn about the stars and the planets and such. And this is the point where Eve pieces out from the meal. Yes. She's like, listen, I'll get the Wikipedia summary of this whole thing from Adam. I do not need to be here to listen to these two men invent podcasting. So they talk for ages, and it boils down to, man, you humans sure are curious. But you know what? It's not for you to know everything. Stay in your lane, head and just do what god says the conversation continues and it will for a while and sometimes daniel we get halfway through a recap and i think i just can't do this right now i'm ready for my union five yeah so then adam talks about his own frankenstein's monster moment when he was first created and he remembers waking up and not knowing who he was or being what very he sweaty do they say that he does, yeah. I just thought that was interesting, waking up all sweaty. That's horrible. That's pretty disgusting. Well, Clay kind of sweats, doesn't it? Yeah, so he, he remembers first waking up and not knowing who he was or where he was. Adam goes around, he names all the animals, because he somehow implicitly knew what their true names were already. Duck. It's <laughs> just an example, there are others. <laughs> You're really embodying Adam today. Yeah, I really, well. Himbo. Basic bitch. You know animals. Uh, uh, you're sweaty. Yes. After a while, Adam gets bored without somebody else to talk to, so he asks God for a good lady wife who he can bore with his thoughts. More Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, exactly. God made him a total smoke show. She's got ringlets and everything. Adam's in love. So Raphael, remember, we're still at the dinner. We're still talking. Raphael is listening to this story, and he's like, listen, I'm glad you love your wife, but don't go overboard with it. Don't you dare get lustful about her. And Adam's like, I literally do not know what that means. Uh. 
Raphael gets very, like, men's rights activist about it, and he's like, listen, Eve might be attractive, but she is lesser on the inside than you, Adam. You know how chicks do. <laughs> They're stupider, weaker, and vainer than men. Anyway, bye bye And all I have to say is, I think Milton discovered he had more real estate in this book than he expected, because apparently we have, what, three full books to just recap a dull dinner conversation. Hey, no. Also, you missed the key bit, and I'm surprised you missed this. Adam says, Oh, you know, like, what I do in bed with me lady wife? <laughs> do angels do anything like this? And we get this strange line... Quote, Let it suffice thee that thou knowest us happy, and without love no happiness, whatever pure thou in the body enjoyest, and pure thou wert created, we enjoy an eminence. An obstacle find none of membrane, joint or limb, exclusive bars, easier than air with air if spirits embrace, total limix, union of pure with pure, desiring nor restrained conveyance need, as flesh to mix with flesh or soul with soul. So the point is, it's some kind of weird like ghost sex thing. Where your all the membranes cross, imagine that. It's pretty pretty sick. Well, I was gonna say, aren't angels supposed to not have genitals, or am I just thinking of the movie Dogma? Again, the nineties slacker culture. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I don't know. I just Daniel. I just want to know Raphael's pronouns. Well, he talks about how they're all blokes in heaven. Okay, and so, then he also talks about how they all have sex. So his pronouns are he him, but it's H Y M N. Ooh, yeah, very good. Yeah. I just thought it was weird, though, anyway. The angels... Angel sex. We get a bit about angel sex. Truly, you know I would have picked up on this immediately if I had understood a fucking word of it. I what? That that went well, over the, me. The moment I see of membrane, I'm like, this is a sex bit. The moment the word <laughs> membrane gets mentioned, I'm like, all over that. Um, Daniel, could you put your shirt on? <laughs> You're making it kind of weird. <laughs> Okay, so we've had the flashback. Now on with the main story. Thank God. Well, quite. <laughs> oh, no, no, not since, like him. Since his encounter with Gabriel, Satan, he's been stewing, he's been casing the place, waiting for Raphael to leave. We get this sort of like heist moment where he has to avoid Gabriel and the other angels. They're guarding the gates of Eden. So how's he going to avoid detection? With a disguise. Ooh. What's he pick? The serpent, subtlest beast of all the field. Now, meanwhile, we've got Adam and Eve. They're getting ready for a bit more work in the garden. I don't know, they're the punching their clock in or whatever. They're raking the yaks and milking the rhubarb or whatever the f*** yeah, they do all day. We don't know what they do. So Eve is like, oh, I think maybe we should work separately. You know, it's bad enough having to live with you. I don't have to work with you as well. And Adam's like, I don't think we should work separately because... Satan might be an advantage if he can get us on our own. I cannot fault Adam's horror movie logic here of, like, don't separate. I get it. I respect it. I also can't fault you for being like, yeah, I listened to you and Raphael podcast for eight hours last night. Can I get some f***ing peace oh, and yeah. quiet? Just mow the lawn on my own, please. Eventually, Adam relents and Eve heads off on her own. And she's like, yeah, I'll see you at lunchtime. Eve, no! You know God is going to test you and you don't prep for the exam? Quote, oh, much deceived, much failing, hapless Eve of thy presumed return, event perverse. Thou never from that hour in paradise found either sweet repast or sound repose. You think you're coming back, love? 
well, you got another thing coming. It's just all this stuff about how dumb Eve is, isn't there? But then she, she's a bit like Satan, isn't she? She's, she's out convinced Adam. She's like, well, we should work separately for this, 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 and this reason. Here's my thing, right? And I remember when this was taught to me in my undergrad, my professor who like had a, an expertise in this, she was talking about how Milton's sort of like sexism doesn't really work. He keeps trying to pin this on Eve, but like it just isn't quite right because by Milton's logic, the fall isn't Eve's fault. It should be Adam's because she's portrayed as built too weak and stupid to defend herself. And Adam is the one who's been given crazy warnings to watch over her. And he's supposed to be the strong and wise one. So there is no excuse for this. It's his fault. Well, there are two arguments against that, though. The first is that Milton is not sexist and he recognizes that Eve has agency. The second is that Milton is sexist and that therefore it is Adam's fault because Eve could never have agency. So in both cases, I think it's fine, right? Well, give Adam periods then. Uh, there's a man period. It's in the glossy magazines. It's there's, we we suffer too. It's all about. I don't know. You feel low at some point or whatever. I don't know. Are you on your man's period right now? Because you've. I was born on my man's period. <laughs> okay, so Adam and Eve have separated for the day, and Satan comes across Eve alone oh how wickedly delightful and he let's keep in mind you know he's dressed as a snake at the moment a surging maze yeah he uh he is basically possessed this poor hapless snake who's like i want no part of this oh my body so he starts complimenting eve's good looks and eve's a bit like wah 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 an animal can speak and satan as the snake goes can i ever and do you want to know how i ate some fruit from one of the trees in the garden eve is like dope which tree this sounds great this tree i gotta see and the snake goes well you'll never believe this but it's that big one the tree of knowledge Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? Cause baby, I'll take you to Flavortown. <laughs> and Eve's like, uh, I don't think so. Daddy God said, no, we can't eat from that tree. The serpent goes, well, the other thing I learned when I gained this knowledge is that God secretly wants you to eat from the tree. This is all an elaborate test. He wants humans to show independence cause God doesn't like little boring wallflowers. He likes humans with a bit of brass. So I've, I'm basically summing up this section very quickly, but my dude writes a goddamned manifesto trying to convince her. Eve's like, okay, I didn't ask for your life story, but let me try to rationalize this with my stupid little woman brain. God did tell us that we need to not eat from the tree or else it would mean death. But this snake ate from the tree and it's still alive. Not just alive, but thriving. <laughs> Writhing and thriving, to, re to reuse a tweet I saw. Besides, that is one gorgeous apple he's pointed out. How can an apple that perfect be bad for you? Okay, my diet starts tomorrow. I'll be a devil. <laughs> Wink. So Eve plucks the apple from the tree and takes a bite. And from the beginning of time, not one person has ever read the apple terms and conditions. Uh, very good. No, topical it's only because i it's only because i look down and smile and i wait for your adjuration that um you even registered that as a joke i just wait for the pauses and then say very good <laughs> like i'm a child or, or like i'm some kind of robot <laughs> i like that uh, a sort of affirmation robot yeah anyway i 
I read somewhere that this scene where Eve eats the apple is written like an orgasm, but that's ridiculous because women can't have those. Snake as well. Phallus. So Satan sneaks off while Eve eats. Oh no, all of nature shudders. It's a good bit. The whole world sighs in disappointment. Humanity's fallen, and so we enter endgame. Eve is feeling pretty special about eating that fruit. Isn't she? And she's like, ooh, shall I share it with Adam? First he's like, hmm, well, if I alone have the powers of the tree, maybe I'll be equal to, if not better, than Adam. That said, if I alone am a sinner, God will just dispose of me and give Adam a new wife. So it's better to be safe in numbers. So she resolves to get... I can't say chump. <laughs> okay, she resolves to get that chump to take a bite too. Adam, meanwhile, he's been weaving a flowery garland for Eve's hair. It doesn't say which hair, does it? Could be a bit... D.H. Lawrence. Oh, a little bit Lady Chatterley's Lover. A little uh, pube flower situation going on here. Pube flower, yeah. My uh, Amerindian name. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was thinking that they're absolutely in a sex cult because we've entered Midsommar if he's, you know, weaving flower garlands for her hair. Right, it could be all of the above, can't it? She approaches him. Tells him what happened. You know, I ate the apple. My eyes are open. Wake up, sheeple. That sort of stuff. <laughs> Adam, well, I don't need to tell you. He's horrified. He's not very pleased at all with what Eve's done. This is I Leave You Alone for Five Minutes writ large. Well, it's the whole cosmos, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, if I eat the apple, I'll be doomed. But I can't live without Eve, who lets me touch her boobies. <laughs> I didn't write that. I was putting all sophisticated quotes in. Abby wrote this. With very little thought, he bites from the apple too. What's the first thing that happens? Well. It's like, well, it's the joke, isn't it? That's a hard one. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) He he, he has a boner. It's different from all the previous boners. It is somehow lustful. And Adam's like, you know what? I am happy I put that in my mouth. What are all these (laughs) sensations happening? Yeah. He goes, but come. So well refreshed, now let us play. He kind of goes a little bit weird and lascivious. So they have a pretty wild session. Not even in the bower, is it? <laughs> well, let me tell you, friend, Eve is New Testament in the streets and Old Testament in the sheets. <laughs> they get wacky with it. They go to sleep after that, and they can't wait to wake up to do all that, you know, knowing stuff. All the pub quiz trivia. Yeah, I'm trying to think pub quiz stuff that. Download into their brain overnight. Yeah. Who starred in It Ain't Half Hot Mum? Things like that. <laughs> yeah, they're so excited about knowing all that shit. The joke's on them, though, because they've lost Paradise Forever. That's all they'll know. Ha ha ha. So they have a bad sleep. Lots of horrible dreams. Because you have that when you know stuff, don't you? <laughs> Stupid people don't. Well, maybe they do. I don't know. I wouldn't know. They wake up and the luster has gone. They're all feeling shameful. They're feeling disappointed. They look down and they realize they've got no clothes on. I don't know why this matters since they've been naked the whole time. The angels and animals haven't cared and their sexual partners anyway. Like, who is there to be shocked by this? What do you want about? The point is, is that they see the world anew. But they have no concept of clothing. The they animals... do. You get it from the apple. I hate that. That's this. what the apple this is does. So fucking stupid. I, I think that's this. a really good idea. Or, like they don't even have the ability to weave cloth. Um, no, no, I'm not having it. I think that's a really. I love that idea of okay. like, them looking down, and I think that's a great thing from the Genesis story. Keep going. Okay, 
they get into a huge fight about whose fault this is. They're all chucking plates and pans and things <laughs> at each other in that sort of way that couples do. Naked arguing, that's shameful. Well, it could it could turn into some pretty hurtful remarks quite quickly. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. At least they've gone out with a bang. Hey. So, back up in heaven, God's spidey senses are tingling. <gasps> they've eaten the fruit, those little sh- Oh, I'll put an apple in their mouth, all right, after I roast them like little piggies. Whoa. So, he doesn't actually say that. But I can say that because I'm a Protestant now, so I can speak for God. I don't need a priest. The angels are like, God, we did everything we could to prevent Adam and Eve from eating the fruit. I mean, apart from, like, staying with them or watching them in any capacity. Or arresting Satan. Or arresting Satan, exactly. Also, can you imagine Raphael's face being like, I just said this last night for eight hours at dinner. I said, don't eat the fruit. God then abdicates all responsibility to Jesus and makes Jesus go down there to give Adam and Eve a bit of a scolding. Whoa, this is like my one prefab. Give him a dressing down or up. <laughs> Shouldn't that be? So Jesus goes down to Eden and he's like, where are Adam and Eve? And they are hiding because they're naked and they don't want Jesus to see. Adam's like, I know Jesus is going to die for our sins, but I don't want him to die of embarrassment. <laughs> Jesus is very like, guys, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. What happened here? When they explain, Jesus says that the snake is actually the most to blame and all serpents shall hereforth have to crawl on their bellies forever. And I'm like, hey, what? He was already doing that. That's what I don't get. The yeah. snake was already crawling. What's the punishment? Did snakes have legs before? Is that the message? And B, he got possessed by Satan. The snake isn't to blame, let alone all snakes forever. So that's not punishment enough. Eve is also to blame. So hmm, what should the punishment be? Well, Eve, let's just say some weird stuff is going to be happening to your pelvis. Bye. Back to heaven I go. Meanwhile, back in hell, sin and death, they're building the bridge from hell to earth. Satan's turnpike, go on. Satan greets them, it's a big like grand opening type thing, <laughs> isn't it? You know, I'm at, you know, it's more like the Continental Railroad or Transcontinental Railroad. He's cutting Railroad, a ribbon. Yeah. Yeah. The big golden spike. They all pat each other on the back, hurry, well done. And Satan, in a perverse reflection of God's go forth and multiply thing, is like, sin and death, go and conquer the earth make man quote your thrall and then kill him so that's how sin and death came into all of our lives lord love him so he zooms down the, the big causeway back to hell to address pandemonium so he arrives he makes a big speech telling the devils of all of his accomplishments and he waits for universal applause doesn't he you know he's like he kind of closes his eyes kind of goes oh he like you know puts <laughs> his head back he's so excited so but what happens Quote, when contrary, he hears on all sides from innumerable tongues a dismal, universal hiss, the sound of public scorn, and he sees that all of the devils have been turned into serpents as punishment for Satan's crimes. And Satan also turns into a big serpent, a dragon. The devils, they're not going to be snakes forever. They become just back to fallen angels, but they periodically turn back into them as punishment. I think like once a year or something stupid like that. It's like intermittent syphilis or something like that. Just every now and then, you'll have a bit of a flare-up. Why would you turn Satan into a dragon? That is so cool. Turn him into something lame. God is quite keen to build Satan up as an adversary. 
He's okay, like, yeah. isn't he? He's like, oh, I'm going to punish you. Here's a big evil continent full of gunpowder. Yeah, uh, white. <laughs> I'm going to turn you into something horrible, uh, a big dragon. You know, it doesn't make sense. Well, speaking of God, meanwhile, up in heaven, God decides that Jesus, in fact, did not do a good enough job punishing people on Earth. Oh. So God's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to nudge the Earth slightly. Oh, good bet. That'll show them. And so now the Earth is on a tilt, which means that humans have to go through seasons. Guess what, fuckos? You're going to be really hot for a few months. Then, you're going to be kind of (laughs) chilly. Also, the animals... They're going to hunt each other, and maybe humans too. I don't know. Adam sees all these changes and is incredibly remorseful and furious with Eve. It's still a bit unfair on all the animals, isn't it? Couldn't they still have got on? Well, you like, don't even get the knowledge! Eve accepts responsibility for her actions, with the caveat that like, the snake did trick her, and she begs Adam not to leave. He's like, what is even the point of you, Eve? I wish you were never born from my rib. And she's like, suicide pact? Eh? Eh? But Adam says no. I mean, I'm just hearing a lot of no from this guy, not any real suggestions of his own. Yeah, he's, he's not helpful. Adam eventually calms down, and they both accept the part they had to play in the fall of man, and they somewhat forgive each other and pray to God for further forgiveness. They're doing it for the kids, aren't they? <laughs> That's what they're going to do. God hears their prayers. He feels a little bad, but not bad enough not to kick Adam and Eve out of Eden. Adam and Eve are already chastened, aren't they? And now they're particularly distressed about leaving the garden and losing touch with God. But Michael's like, worry you not, God's everywhere. You know, little is like a f***ing cathedral <laughs> to me. So if you're very, very good, when you die, you can go and join God in heaven. Won't that be nice? But we've put on a little show for you. Just you, Adam. Just something for the men. So let's just, uh, roofie Eve... <laughs> And you and me can uh, go and have, take a look at something. I think you'll like it. So he takes Adam to the top of the tallest hill in Eden to show him the whole world. Bit of a sort of Jesus and Satan moment, isn't it? And he gives him a vision of the future. Uh, it gets a bit Christmas Carol here, or It's a Wonderful Life. But you wanted to eat the apple. Oh, I can't believe I <laughs> Why did I eat the apple? It's very it? sentimental. I, I imagine those sad Irish flutes from Titanic piping in. So Adam sees his and Abe's future sons, Cain and Abel. He sees Cain killing Abel. Not a nice thing to see it's with your own kids. So that's the first human death. But Michael adds, death has many shapes. He shows him how men will die thereafter by war, disease, old age. Michael also shows Adam some good stuff. People playing music, having sex, living for pleasure. That's that sounds good, right? Wrong, Michael says. Those people are sinners, they're atheists, they're living for pleasure, but they'll die, they won't go to heaven. We see all these battles, sieges, general mayhem, we see Noah and his ark, and the flood, and everything. Give us a Gilgamesh klaxon, please, for the flood. Um, and Adam's like, ooh, I kind of wish you hadn't shown me any of this, because I'm <laughs> feeling really bad about... It's like showing a butterfly the, the hurricane that it set off with its wing, isn't it? Question, Daniel. Is this the first advent calendar? Because we're sort of slowly counting down the days till Christ's birth, but oh. behind every door it's just despair instead of chocolate. I mean, the chocolate's never very good. <laughs> <is it? laughs> so this was the point in the story where 
I actually started praying to God. This turned me religious. And I was like, God, please don't make Milton take us through the whole Bible from well, this yeah. point on. At the, at the, the 11th left. hour and yeah. the 12th book. Yeah, I did quite. not need this. But we do get quite a few Old Testament highlights. The Tower of Babel, Abraham and the Israelites, Egypt, Moses, King David. I have never wished so hard that I were just watching the Good Omens opening credits instead. <laughs> Eventually, Michael shows Adam, Jesus. The Messiah. Don't worry, Archangel, Michael says. Jesus's eventual sacrifice will punish Satan for what you've done. And Adam's like, oh, <laughs> good? Question mark. And then Michael's like, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Now collect your bint and get the f*** out. Do it, Adam. Take the L. The end. What, the whole poem? Yeah. No. What do we have left? Adam and Eve leaving, kind of with brave faces. You've got to read the final... Well, I'll read the final bit. Some natural tears they dropped, but wiped them soon. The world was all before them, where to choose their place of rest. And Providence their guide. They, hand in hand, with wandering steps and slow, through Eden took their solitary way. And that's a great ending, but also I don't get it, because surely they just left Eden. I don't get it either, because I didn't understand it. Okay, would you like some casting, Daniel? Yes, I would, please. This was incredibly hard to adapt, and I was thinking, apart from Fellini, who I referenced in this, who could possibly do this justice? And I don't know that anyone could, but the one element I really connected with in this story was the sort of heist or con element of it, hmm. of, you know, we have to break into the heavily guarded Eden, we have to manipulate Eve into eating the apple. So I wondered if this could be framed more as a cold, psychological David Fincher crime thriller. <laughs> Would that work? It's, it's as confusing. But we'd need a really charismatic Satan. It's gotta be Colin Farrell. He's classically handsome enough to be on The Bachelor, but his beauty is slightly evil and unbelievably comfy. <laughs> and now for our segment, Bad Goodreads Reviews. What nerve this Milton guy has! One star. <laughs> this is no Aeneid, I'll tell you what. <laughs> one star. Pretty good, but the ending was a downer. <laughs> one star. Sir, the title tells you what's about to happen. Okay, let's do some analysis. And you wanted to talk about form. People always say this thing that, like, the William Blake thing where like Milton claimed to be on the side of God but really was of the devil's party but you even get that kind of like spirit of destruction or chaos or whatever in the poetic style because like language he's kind of reinventing throughout the poem it's like very artificial but in this kind of super dynamic like kind of plastic way and he's yeah. constantly verbing nouns and nouning adjectives so I feel, I feel like he's trying to kind of in the same way that chaos is sort of pre-material it's almost like he's trying to reinvent grammar from the ground up in this mm. kind of crazy way and i just thought that was brilliant all the neologisms all the borrowings and everything chaos is milton's real master neither satan nor god and that's why the chaos bit is the best bit 
in my humble opinion. I mean, I do love that reading, you know, and frankly, if our listeners want to read it in a different way, well, we've learned from this text there's free will, yes. allegedly. So you don't have to agree with that, but I do really like that, that he's neither of Satan or God's party. He's of th that sort of primordial chaos's yeah. party. But we need to talk about the, the big issue that you've referenced several times but haven't actually explained is Milton of Satan's party. Yeah. So the thing that we sort of alluded to a bit is that all the bits with Satan are so dynamic. Satan is so charismatic. He has this great voice. The God sections are so boring. Yeah. So the fact that we make Satan the protagonist, the fact that we make God so dull that like you dread being in his presence, it's a little bit like, well, whose side is Milton on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and also the fact that so much of God's ordinances seem really unfair and silly, and so much of Satan's, like, well, it's crazy that you can't know stuff. That seems like really just and and even his sort of illogical stuff it makes sense a bit like you know i'll i'll make a hell of heaven and a heaven mm. of hell sort of thing we get satan's rationality in a certain way like there's a sort of psychology that yeah. really translates where god seems to be the sort of arbitrary rule giver for reasons that are too complex for your stupid little head but it just kind of seems really unfair and stupid it's strange isn't it and i feel like there's two interpretations don't you one People say that like Satan's meant to be charismatic because Satan is charismatic and that's why you need to resist him all the more and Milton's kind of modelling that temptation yeah. of the reader. And God doesn't need to be charismatic because he's God and he... Yeah, he's perfect yeah. and orderly. And The other argument is it's an allegory for the Civil War and the Restoration and that Satan is a, it's almost like Milton like apologising for having mm. participated in the Civil War. He is really of God's party, but he's trying to be like, no, I love Charles II, he's great, I love the monarchy. You know, there's that sort of like, his heart's not in it, but he's trying to say that this side is the, the right side, and the yeah. rebellion is wrong. I was, okay, so I don't want to cite a tweet again, like I have been doing well, increasingly, yes. but I was wondering about that. Is Satan a greater allegory for something like ambition, pride, wrath, or is he literally, as the kids are saying, just a mean little guy who makes you f <laughs> well, he's all of the above, I think, isn't he? That's part of the appeal. Because like, he feels like the first ever modern subject in many respects, doesn't he? He feels like, like you, we were saying mm -hmm. before, like he's like a kind of Hamlet figure with like this, this internal doubt and this kind of convincing charisma. Whereas all the angels and God and everything are just these boring drones. I was thinking that a weird thing, this is in the style of the poem, but Milton's constantly saying, oh, when it, Satan did this, it was a bit like when Odysseus did that. Or when Adam did this, it was a bit like when Hercules did that. There's all these like classical references. And there's something about that that doesn't quite make sense. It feels like you're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole or whatever. You're trying to make a poem bigger than the universe, bigger than any epic poem that's existed, and then you're using all of these forms from a pagan mythology to sort of complement that. There's that 12-part structure just like the Odyssey, but this is sort of like Christian and exhausting, and all I kept thinking when I was reading this is, this is some real Stations of the Cross bullshit. Oh, yeah. How far away are we from Vatican II? Can I ask, and you're going to hate this question, is this a fanfic? Ooh, that's quite a funny question, isn't it? It sort of is, isn't it? It feels like he's playing with it in a way that, you know, y you imagine him up late doodling thought, you know, like, what if my favorite characters from the Bible did, 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 did yeah. it just, it feels like there are times when it feels like he is playing with them in a way that is resonant of fanfic. Maybe I'm just thinking this because, you know, he started thinking about writing his great epic as like a teenager. Mm. But the counter-argument is that for like 1600 years, people have been writing and retelling that story. 
No, I so mean, I suppose that's... it's not like he's completely like the first guy to ever retell a biblical and, story. And that's the same. We've seen that with ancient texts as well. Yeah. You know, Gilgamesh was told, yeah. Oedipus, the Odyssey, like these things were told and retold and retold. Mm. So I, I appreciate that in the long tradition. There's something about this that feels more akin to modern day fan fiction. I know what you mean. And yeah. I don't know quite what that element is that I'm picking up on. Can we talk about gender in this? The yes, big question yes, about yes, gender. Yes, 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 that's important. So, yeah, is this a sexist text? Because they talk an awful lot about Eve is weak, Eve is stupider, you know, she, and that's how she's designed to be, and that's what women are in their essence, and it's her fault, and look at those wanton ringlets. And I'm like, you made her with the yeah. ringlets. And sin. The only other woman in the... Well, quite. Yeah. I think it's pretty damning to... if Just on the surface of it, mm-hmm. for the embodiment of sin to be a woman. But Eve also is, apart from Satan, the most interesting yeah. and the most complex. By far, like, the second best character. Maybe it's that. You know, okay, Eve is more compelling than Adam, but she's still second to a bloke, Satan. Maybe it's like... <laughs> That's a matter of no, personal taste. No, I think you're right, though. I think, yeah... Eve is up there with the most sophisticated characters. She explores her own agency in complex ways. She has the ability to speak rhetorically yes. and, and persuasively. She persuades Adam of things, yeah, even yeah. though she's supposed to supposed to not be smart enough or strong enough to do that. And even the bits where like her weaknesses, a bit like with Satan, actually, her weaknesses were like looking in the lake and being confused and falling in love with herself and then seeing Adam and feeling a bit funny about it, but just thinking, well, I suppose it's right. All of those kinds of moments of doubt and weakness are also much more interesting than anything Adam or Gabriel or God or the Son can offer us. To be honest, Adam, for all that he talks, he doesn't, he has that whole dinner with Raphael, he doesn't do very much. Mm. Like, Eve at least can be seen doing and thinking and you, you can really feel the cogs turning mm. with Eve, whereas Adam is just a fucking potato. Yeah. Pomme de terre. <laughs> I think. <Yeah. laughs> I think if. Um, I like that because he came from the earth and apple. Yeah. Look that, at that. That's the joke. Well, I wanted to explain it for people who don't speak French as well as we do. There's <laughs> <laughs> all this stuff about how nice heaven is, and it's just God on a hill, and all the angels just in sort of like really complex watch-like. It's a bit like Watchmen, actually. Mm-hmm. Nobody goes up to Mars and makes the big. Yeah. Clock. They're just all walking around God singing about how great he is in these like very elaborate watch-like choreographies. And that sounds shit. And I feel like Milton knows that sounds shit. And all the devils yeah. say it. That's boring. I don't want to be singing hallelujahs all day to some guy that's just happened to be there first. And again, it's like Adam can't do anything because if he does anything, then he's inevitably going to be a sinner. So, yeah, even the devil are the kind of the motor of the, the engine of the text, and therefore it's always going to be on their side. It's just, it, that, that's quite a complex dynamic, and that's the thing that I think has kept this text going and in the public consciousness. This is why this is so interesting, mm. when it's actually, as I think many people have thought, it's quite difficult to read nowadays. People still make an attempt because of these complexities. Well, you're cancelling Christmas... I'm cancelling advice this episode. No advice this episode as a little Christmas treat, mostly to myself. I'm done teaching for the term. I don't want to impart any more knowledge on you people. So if you've learned anything else, please hand it in at the end of the episode. It's bad for you anyway. A little knowledge is a dangerous thing. (laughs) So 
our next episode is actually going to be an end of the year special and we're not going to do our normal recap we're going to read all the emails that we've gotten which haven't appeared on the show yet so if you have written in at any point this year up to about mid-december when we'll be recording and you haven't heard your letter yet it'll probably be there we will answer listener questions so it'll be a bit more of a q a we'll correct any mistakes we've made on this show or recount any jokes that we didn't think of so that episode should drop sometime around new year i'm not sure if it'll be new year's eve or new year's day our new year's special and then we will be back properly for season five in mid-january now here's the clue to our season five opener when we did our first patreon book group we read fingersmith by sarah waters and in that book there was one character who was repeatedly referred to as a pearl in our season five opener our book will have a character who i think could reasonably also be called a pearl i even get that clue because you haven't read that text yet okay oysters or something sure yep right daniel so this is it man our 50th episode do you have any special sign-off today? Any clues of your own? Just think, let's give ourselves a pat on the back. Come on, do it. I want to see you doing it. Yeah. Grudgingly. Yeah. And uh, listen, I want you to give yourself a, a bloody good pat on the back, a hearty pat <laughs> on the back. For sticking with us yeah, this whole time. Exactly. Thank you. We uh, appreciate it. Please write in. We love suggestions. We love questions. We love, you know, doing Q&A episodes and things. Q&A? Um, no, that's a different that's so thing. Different. Yeah, we, okay, screw that. We yeah. don't love that. But yeah, thanks for everybody who has engaged over the last couple of years. Right, so please write into our email at savemefrommyshelf at gmail.com. Tweet us at smfms underscore podcast. We're on TikTok and Instagram at savemefrommyshelf. Sign up to our Patreon. Again, um, we will be doing our book group reading tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow in early January 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Early January 2024. All right, and from Daniel and myself, thank you very much for going on this wild ride with us <laughs> and uh happy yeah. christmas merry christmas yeah. thanks for listening to save me from my shelf our music is the overture to don giovanni by mozart and cover art is by Catherine wu our thanks to aston university's center for critical inquiry and to society and culture for funding the startup of this podcast contact us at save me from my shelf at gmail.com or at smfms underscore podcast on twitter and do not i'm going to remind you do not forget to rate review and subscribe do not forget thank you